you a gracious loser or do you suffer from sour grapes? It's time to celebrate all things sour. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a chilly, wet England. Should I say anything on the program that strikes a chord, interests you or, heaven help me, causes you to choke on your muesli? Please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. It is all things sour. I'm not very fond of sour sour people or sour food for that matter but how is it for you are you a bit of a sour puss really or do you feel serene and sweet and happy as you go about your daily life does anybody really like things with lemons and sour sweets and stuff like that i don't know it doesn't really appeal particularly but perhaps i'm being very narrow-minded about this but anyway, give me sweet any time. I was asking an American friend this morning whether you use the expression to have sour grapes. Is this a case of sour grapes? And we were wondering where the whole idiom comes from. And we talk about sour grapes all the time. Basically, if you're a hard loser, oh, you've got sour grapes, you came second. In Malta, we say, go suck a lemon, or you have sucked a lemon, which is sort of similar um, which means, of course, that <laughs> um, when Labour lost the election years ago, I happened to be there and people were driving around celebrating with lemons hanging from the backs of their cars as a kind of middle finger up to the opposition. I'm so curious now to know what the origin of sour grapes is. If anybody knows what the origin of sour grapes is, I would like to know. Oh, okay. Maggie does like sour stuff. She likes sour candy and also pickles. Are pickles sour? Yes, I suppose they are. Yes, okay. Yes, I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing pickles are sour, aren't they? I always think of them as bitter, but they're not really, are they? I always get a bit muddled between bitter and sour. And according to, I'm not sure that Wikipedia really counts as a research source, but it's apparently to do with Aesop's fable. And I should have known this because my son made an animation of this fable. The fox is trying to get to the farmer's grapes and he can't. Oh, look, Maggie, Maggie beat me to it almost. Yes, it's from Aesop's fable, the fox and the grapes. Yes, the fox is unable to reach the farmer's grapes. So he convinces himself that they must have been unripe, therefore sour. All along, they weren't worth fighting for in the first place. He didn't really want the grapes, hence sour grapes. Yes, indeed. Yes, my, my son made a, an animation of that and had quite a lot of fun doing some dangling, dangling grapes um, in front of the nose of a little fox puppet he'd made. But that is where that comes from. OK, well, maybe I'm being unreasonable. Maybe sour food is fine. I don't like it when people are sour, though. I always think, I don't know. I always think, what what happened? What went wrong to make you like that? The whole sour old lady thing. You know, when I come across people like that, I, I just think, I wonder who let you down. Um, it shouldn't it shouldn't have been like that. Here is the big question of the morning, though. On a completely unrelated note to lemons, grapes, and everything sour, should we give up 
on pen and paper. Exam boards in Britain, a few exam boards, that is not all of them, have made the decision to phase out handwritten exams. It's always the way it is. Some of us still get nightmares and flashbacks to sitting at your desk with that paper face down in front of you, your pen at the ready, and the invigilator saying, the time is nine o'clock, you may start writing now. And everyone turns over the paper, praying that it's going to be okay, and starts scribbling away. But a number of exam boards are saying, look, this is, this is pointless. Children just do not write anything anymore. They're not used to handwriting essays and you know, particularly large bodies of text. So it is better to be in line with the times, ditch the pens and paper, and they each get a laptop. It'll be a blank laptop. There's no way they can look anything up, no Wi-Fi, and they type out their answers. This is being phased in to start in 2026 with some language courses, but potentially other subjects will be included by 2030. So this is not an immediate thing, but it's evolving towards a paperless exam. And I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, of course, there's some very strong opinions coming to the chat room. Never give up on pen and paper. Maggie's saying, I enjoy receiving handwritten written letters from our listeners. There is just something very special about handwritten letters, isn't there? That's, you get a bit of, I suppose, because your personality comes into your handwriting. You know, the way people sometimes decipher handwriting. So, oh, you know, this is a shy person, this is an extrovert person, or whatever. Um, it is true, in fact, it's, it's not completely mumbo jumbo. You can tell a lot about a person from their handwriting. So there's something that makes handwriting very, very personal. And yet I can also see why a lot of exam boards are starting to say, well, so much of children's learning now is online and so much of it is typewritten. Is it really fair to ask children to write lengthy essay answers in an exam when all their homework and all their coursework and all their prep is being typewritten. Um, I, I don't know really how I feel about this. In some ways, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before because we've really been moving away from handwriting in the classroom for really about the last 10 years. So... It's, it's almost an inevitability as far as I can see. I think they could do it so that there was no cheating, you know, so there was no way of accessing information and that sort of thing. Um, Jacqueline is saying, everything my students do has to be in cursive, using a fountain pen. Now, that's interesting because when I first started school, uh, secondary school, that is, uh, aged nine, started a bit early, um, you had to write in an italic pen. And then they moved that to fountain pen because teaching italic writing was just becoming too time consuming. But you did have to write with a fountain pen. Biros were very anathema. You, you just absolutely did not use biros. I heaved a huge, huge sigh of relief when they allowed us to use biros because being a seriously short-sighted left-hander fountain pens were always a problem for me i always ended up looking like paddington bear and you know, ink all over my fingers and smudging everything uh, maggie's saying my nephew cannot write in cursive it wasn't taught in his school 
Um, Jacqueline saying we use notebooks as a certain format. They have to follow or they'll get points taken off. All our exams are in essay form. Uh, Maggie saying I didn't realise this until I spent the last month with him. I thought this was still taught in public schools. Well, I'm happy to say that my children were all taught cursive script at primary school. And in fact, my children's school didn't do what some schools do uh, of teaching them to write print and then getting them to write cursive when they're about seven. They started off writing cursive. My only concern was I felt that a lot of the children, I, I noticed this even with my children when I looked over their shoulders, were doing cheat cursive, where they'd in fact, they'd print the letters and then they'd add the little connectors. It took them a long time to start writing properly cursively. Having said that, my older two children have beautiful handwriting. The younger ones still have a bit of work to do on it. So um, maybe maybe there's something to be said for it. I do think that handwriting is important. I do query whether it is important in an exam situation. Um, I do wonder whether it would just, whether it would be less stressful possibly typing. I do. You remember the, the hand cramps at the end of the exams, just from solidly writing for two, sometimes three hours at a time. Jacqueline says, I have an inkwell on my desk and I have to constantly fill up their fountain pens for them. OK, so they don't use cartridge fountain pens. We always had cartridge pens. We weren't allowed to use um We had inkwells, but we weren't actually allowed to fill them. They were worried about ink getting splodged everywhere. Um, so we always had cartridge pens. But I do re remember the sort of panics you know halfway through a dictation exercise or something or um some child would put their hand up and say has anyone got a cartridge uh, can, I, can i change my cartridge um, and then there'd be a scuffle yeah you can have one of mine which which pen do you use schaefer or um i can't remember what the other one was called um jacqueline's saying even the phonics and kindergarten are in cursive okay All right good morning dwight okay so this is so handwriting is still important to people then but should handwriting be used in exams all right, let's narrow it down. Okay, let's say handwriting is important. It's important that children can write and can, can write in a good, neat, tidy hand. Is it really necessary to write an exam in pen? Can't it be typewritten? That would be my question of the day. Do we have to take handwriting into exams or could we take some of the stress off by allowing typewritten answers there we are that's my that's my let, let's say okay we, let's say we're in agreement about handwriting in general but how about we moved to laptops for exams only i suppose the only problem there is i suspect that once they stop having handwritten exams handwriting will be dealt a complete body blow because one of the major reasons why they still emphasize good handwriting so much in schools is because it's a handicap if you get into an exam and you can't write clearly we were always told that you get into that exam, you write in illegible writing, the examiner will put a big red line through it and it could be an absolute work of genius. If the examiner can't read it, it will not be marked. So it was a huge incentive for us to have good handwriting. So perhaps if that went, you know, maybe handwriting would also go. Perhaps that is a, po a possibility. Jacqueline saying, they have cartridges, I just refilled them for them using a syringe. Oh, that's great. I didn't know you could do that. That's that's very um, eco-friendly. All those little plastic tubes, I remember. It is 21 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. 
If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And we are talking about Sourest Day. It is a day to celebrate all that is sour. Sour people, sour food, sour sweeties. Do you like sour food? Are you a bit of a sourpuss? Let me know. Answers in the chat room. And the big question of the day, should we give up on pen and paper in the classroom? Exam boards in Britain are starting to change policy. It was always the case that exams had to be handwritten. Exam boards are now saying they wish to move at least some of the language papers onto laptops. And they're unrolling this and in the next couple of years, by 2026, English and Italian GCSEs will be written that way. And also, by 2030, most subjects will be typewritten, not handwritten. And this is causing quite a conversation in the chat room. How important is handwriting? I remember as a child being given a, it was a how to be a detective kit. Yes, I am a crime writer and I have always been obsessed with crime fiction and detection and mysteries and stuff like that. So I was just the sort of child who would be given a how to be a detective kit. And it had all sorts of things like you know, the powder that you, you get fingerprints from and a magnifying glass. So it was really exciting. And uh, a little notepad so I could write my clues you know as i observed people and um <laughs> one of the things it had was how to decipher handwriting and it did make me aware that you can find out a lot about a person from the way they write it is an extension of yourself it's it's a, a lot to do with self-expression how you write even if you learn to write in a particular style how you write that style will say a lot about you so if we stop handwriting yes i can see that maybe we just lose something somewhere it is it is a, an important an important thought i think it is a day of very very minor victories as you will know, because it's the same in the States, it's one of those subjects that just will not go away. Sex education in schools is a major point of controversy. Um, in Britain, sex education has been made compulsory in recent years in schools, though I have certainly found as a parent that there are all sorts of ways of getting around this. But it is difficult, and for many children... They are not being given that option to opt out. There are frequent protests outside schools and through through the legitimate channels, but also through protest against explicit sex education in Manchester, up in the north of England. Some time ago, 100 parents gathered outside Birchfield's primary school holding signs reading, stop sexualizing our children and too much too soon, uh, with the school saying, we're working closely with parents. No, you're not. Um, and the Department of Education making mealy-mouthed points. Save our kids from age-inappropriate material. Um, the protests clearly are making an impact. Parents have more power than we realise, I think, sometimes. The fact that schools get a lot of negative publicity like this, it's actually quite significant. And recently, the government has had to say 
that parents have the right to see the content of sex education lessons. It's always been accepted broadly that parents have a right to see the materials. However, most parents don't know this, so don't look or don't ask. And some schools will do virtually anything to avoid parents seeing the materials, including fibbing. Um, I was told when my eldest son was going through this for the first time, oh, no, no, they're just going to be watching. Of course, you can see the materials if you like, but they're just going to be watching a video about the changes to expect during puberty. And every little alarm bell rang. I said, I'd still like to see it. And, you know, within five seconds, there was discussion about flavoured condoms and all sorts of um, details that really, really had nothing to do with the changes to the body during puberty. And I protested. But you see, because the school had said it's just about the changes to expect in puberty, only three of us turned up, only three parents turned up to look at the materials because most people thought, oh, puberty, yes, that's fine. So despite the fact that parents can look at the materials, it doesn't always work that way. You know, schools are sometimes a bit devious about it or just very obstructive. And some parents think that they have no right to look. So this is quite an important announcement. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has said, you know, Parents have a right to view the sex education material which is being taught to their children. And um, this is at a time when there's a government consultation into sex education. Now, the Safe School Alliance um, has said that this is too little, too late, and she is absolutely right. It is far too little, far too late. The idea, um, the chief executive of the Sex Education Forum has said, you know, we want meaningful engagement between schools. We want everyone involved in the delivery of RSHE to have confidence in these lessons. Well, guess what? A lot of parents are never, ever going to have confidence in these lessons because these lessons are terrible. They're completely age inappropriate. You've got young people being introduced to ideas from very, very young that they are simply not ready for. A lot of the material is questionable in terms of even its accuracy. That was what I found. And for some of us, um, do you know something? Some of us don't think this is for the teachers to be talking about in the first place. As I have pointed out to my children's teachers, as I have pointed out on radio before, as I've pointed out in these call-in programs, I'm perfectly capable of having an honest conversation with my children. I don't need the state to interfere with this. And no, I do not trust teachers to deliver this sort of material. I have never forgotten when I was a student watching Two trainee teachers, Catholic trainee teachers, this was the Catholic chaplaincy, sniggering and leering over delivering sex education. They thought it was so funny to poison little children's minds. They, they thought they were so pleased with themselves. They were so smug. One of them was practically pleasuring himself on the subject. It was very, very creepy. And I came to the conclusion at the end of that lesson, well, I don't think you pair should be anywhere near a classroom. But no way, if I ever have children, are my children learning sex education from people like you? Thanks all the same. So 
It is important that parents are at last being involved in sex education. But do you know something? It is indeed too little, too late. The whole idea of PSHE has to be radically revisited as a concept. It simply doesn't work. Um, oh, Dr. Torres, good morning. Um, now I expect after the bottom of the hour, there'll be pics of del delicious greasy foods. It's National Greasy Foods Day. Also, where's Miss Denise this morning? Is she running late, perhaps? I don't know where Denise is. She hasn't joined in the chat room. Denise, if you're out there and you're unable to sign in to the chat room, good morning to you from all your Crusader friends. Um, Jacqueline saying not to keep coming back to it, but cursive causes both hem hemispheres of the brain to work together. If they write their notes in cursive, having to then type the exam may actually make it harder to recall the information. Uh, that's interesting. So, um, yes, I'm, I know that there is something about physically writing down things that helps certainly with memory. Um, that was why we were always encouraged when we were revising, for example, to get our notes and to write, say, a page of notes, condense it into one page and write it all down, then write a paragraph, then write a sentence and things like that. Because there's something about handwriting that seems to engage the brain in a very particular way. Um, so it may be that, in fact, in terms of mental development, the handwriting is important it is National Greasy Foods Day. I was trying so hard to avoid it. I don't like greasy food. I don't like grease. Um, Joe, London, UK. Sorry, Fiorella, it's not sex education. It's simply grooming. It's an assault on the innocence of children. Those that practice it are fearful to teach parents um, what they say to their children. The head of my, school, my children's primary school refused to teach me in a private meeting what they would teach my children. She just went silent and looked away. Well, that tells you everything, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm broadly in agreement with you, Joe. I do not agree with any of the sex education that's being taught in schools. Um, my, my children's school, once there'd been a certain amount of hoo-ha, which might have had something to do with me, um, they did very radically change what they taught. They basically taught about human reproduction, where the baby comes from, and they taught about it within the context of marriage, which I thought was fine, except it didn't always work. Even then, with you know, a very much, um, very, very scientific view, it didn't always work very well, um, some of the comments that I was hearing the children coming out with. So, I agree with you, Joe. I, mean, I don't think any of this is correct. I don't think any of this is acceptable. I always find a way to withdraw my children, that those of them that are still at school. Um, we're always told in advance when the sex education day is going to be, and I always make sure they have to be off school. Um, Dr. Torres is saying you'd never find any of that poison in the old McGuffey readers, just wholesome stories and tales for the learning reader. Uh, those were the days. I don't know who McGuffey was, but yeah. Oh, uh, Maggie, what is that? Um, I made King... Sorry, it's, that's a... But yeah, I made the King do this burger last week at the RV. I'm sorry, burgers this early. I just... Um, I'm not. I'm not quite. It's nearly lunchtime, and I'm still not quite ready for anything that filling. That looks like about three thousand calories, though. I bet it was in fact delicious. Um, was that a homemade burger? It looks like a homemade one. Meat seasoned with beast and butt rub, of course. There we go. All right. Um, I don't imagine it was even that greasy. I bet you grilled it. Yes, homemade is the only way to go. Homemade burgers are the future of burgers. Frankly, it's the only way you can be sure what's gone into the burger. 
Um, very good. Homemade, the only way to go. Mm -mm. Right. Gosh, that first segment passed in a flurry of handwriting, sour things, greasy food, cursive writing versus typewritten exams and sex education. Yes, indeed. I love the way we can cover quite so many subjects quite so quickly, first thing in the morning. And uh, it's always, always a pleasure. If you've missed the show so far, you can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. But keep signed in and keep tuned in. We've got to go to an ad break now, but keep thinking about these big questions, okay? We'll get back to them after the ad break. You are listening to The Early Show. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the chat room is open for your commentary and pictures of food at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat do talk to me do join the conversation we'll continue in a few minutes here at the crusade channel live talk radio the way it should be and insomniacs and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary and pictures of burgers and stuff at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me as you enjoy a hearty breakfast of homemade burger with beast and butt rub. I swear, one of these days, Mike Church is going to put a tune on the intro and I'm either going to die laughing or collapse with a heart attack due to the dreadful music and there'll just be a silence. Um, you'll know it's happened when I don't say, good morning, all you early risers. Um, Yes, if you've, if you've missed the show so far, you can probably guess at least one of the subjects we're talking about. Um, I think, in fact, The King Dude has a whole selection of really weird food songs specifically intended to unsettle me. We are talking about National Greasy Foods Day. Um, so if you are into greasy food, I, I take it that means anything that's fried, more or less. It's also Sourest Day. So if you're a sourpuss or you like sour food, then just... Let me know about it. Phone me on 844-527-8723 to tell me about how much you enjoy eating homemade greasy burgers followed by 
lemon sorbet before going and whining to your neighbour to show how sour you are. There we are. That ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? Uh, we have also been talking about should pen and paper finally retire from the classroom as a number of British exam boards have said that they will be slowly transitioning from pen and paper exams to typewritten exams. Uh, we have also been discussing, however, the promise made by the educational minister here in Britain, here in Westminster, that parents do and should always have the right to look at materials shown to their children in sex education classes, though the Safe Schools Alliance has said this is too little, too late. You are getting now more and more protests around schools, particularly primary schools where the children are very young and parents are understandably extremely concerned, complaining about age-inappropriate materials being shown to their children. The awful irony is, so Joe London UK was saying that sex education is grooming. The ironic thing is that in some cases, sex education completely backfires. There was a horrible, really horrible Channel 4 cartoon uh, shown in schools all around the country years ago called Living and Growing. It was a whole program, sex education program, but it had a cartoon animation of a couple having sex. And because it was a cartoon, it didn't fall within any kind of certification. There were children so traumatised by this that they said that they would never do it, that they would never, ever, ever do that. And they you know, would sort of lay awake at night thinking about their parents doing that and things like that and just finding the whole thing so horrible. Because, of course, the reason why we don't show things like this to children and why really it's not a spectator sport for anybody is that the way children see things is very different to the way adults see things. A lot of children watching that cartoon thought that the, the couple were hurting each other. They thought it was violent. They were frightened. Um, so it had completely the opposite. It was supposed to show children how cool it was. And a lot of children were running out of that classroom going, I'm going to be a nun. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. Uh, but, you know, it's not funny. It's, it's horrific. What has happened is terrible. And this is a very, very small step in the right direction, um, if it even is. Uh, certainly, it does not reassure me as a parent. I would not trust anyone to teach about those such a sensitive issue as human sexuality better than I could. I just do not accept it. Um, and you know, I know a lot of well-meaning people, including well-meaning teachers, who say, oh, maybe we should have a standardised sex education. Um, as far as I'm aware, nobody has standardised sex. There is no such thing. It is always biased in one direction or another. There, there is no such thing as neutral sex education. So our children will be bombarded with an ideology that most of us do not agree with. Um, so, yeah, um, we don't go there. And the sad thing is, I was doing an interview for a radio station the other day about my new skating story, my skater and my, my family and other skaters. And the interviewer was saying how glad he was that there was there were books coming out for young readers that were fun without being you know suspect or creepy or you know we, we don't have to worry about the content and I felt that you know during the course of that conversation what we were really touching upon is that yes children don't want to be patronized and don't want to be bored and we don't want that to happen but 
it is possible to create interesting material that does make children think but in a very positive, very wholesome way, that's also very engaging and interesting. You know, we don't have to poison children like this to prepare them for the for the adult world. It just doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it's counterproductive, considering the number of children who are growing up with massive social anxiety problems and you know, mental health issues. You know, maybe we should be really reconsidering the sort of material we are throwing at children in the first place. Um Oh, King Dude has informing me. Maggie's dad said a B and B, uh, Beeson Butt Rub burger she made him was the best burger he ever had. There we go. So this is this is the way to do it. You make it spiced with B and B. Okay. King Dude has also said I'm being interviewed about Crusade Max today for a piece to run in the LA Weekly. They called me yesterday to set it up. Um, I don't know what the LA Weekly is, but it sounds like a really important paper. So that's great. Mm. Dr. Torres, that is horrible. Fat man with a huge burger. Oh, Dr. Torres, huge burger. I've never seen anything like that. Oh, that's really, really horrible. I'm just, I'm so glad that the film stops at the point at which he's opening his mouth to eat it because I dread to think what would happen next. I'm not sure I would have the physical strength to lift a burger that big. Um... Okay, Maggie, so the song was Jimmy Buffett, Cheeseburger in Paradise. Okay. Dr. Torres, I think you're actually trying to trying to give me a heart attack. This is, okay, a huge slice of pepperoni pizza. Lovely. Okay. I, I slightly prefer that um, to the humongous burger. And what I find absurd is that this, this burger in the picture, okay, it's about... It's bigger than a dinner plate. And I don't know how many patties there are in that bun, but it's also really tall. It's the way there's a little little portion of chips, a little portion of fries to the side, as if you'd ever have space for that. Anyway, well, I hope he enjoyed it, and I do not wish to see him eating it. Philip says, sounds like they should keep showing that cartoon if it's driving kids to religious life. The really scary thing is, though, um, that I, I know of young people who are genuinely very frightened of the whole thing. Um, and actually question their own sexuality because they have absolutely no desire to do that. Um, and it's far from driving them to the religious life. It's it's created the asexual category in the LGBTQIA. And that used to be what we called boys can get lost. Now you've got young girls who genuinely think they've got some kind of a problem with their or some kind of an issue with their sexuality because they have no desire to jump into bed with a bloke. Um, and it's it's so wrong. It's wrong in every sense of the word. I was talking to a parent just the other day saying, no, what your daughter is experiencing is perfectly normal. It is normal. It is healthy. It is safe for a girl in her early teens not to wish to be sexually active. She is too young. Her everything is everything is telling her that it's not right for her yet. But that doesn't mean it will never be right for her. You know, we, we're create we're, we're taking perfectly normal modesty and uncertainty about an act that is very much an adult act, and we're turning it into a pathology. Um, 
Paul C saying, good morning all. I'm extra hungry this morning, wondering why. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the humongous burgers you're being you're being subjected to. Morning, APOC 813. Okay, I think though, in all honesty, I would rather have a burger than have something really sour. So it would have to be a burger without the pickles, I suppose. Um, having be, having been extremely uh, extremely snooty about the humongous burger, do you get giant? I'm going to regret saying this out, Dr. Torres. You're going to put another picture in the chat room. I can feel it coming. Do you get burger eating contests in the states, or is that a myth from this side of the Atlantic? I've heard of hot dog eating contests. Do you actually get burger eating contests or giant burger contests, or is, is this just a horrible figment of my imagination? It is 51 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day, from crusademax.com. And we have been talking about National Greasy Foods Day, with complete with pictures of giant burgers and stuff like that. Don't let it make you too hungry. Also, National Sour Day, where we're supposed to celebrate sour foods and sour people. Give me sweet any time. Not sure you can really celebrate sour people. Um, am, am I right in thinking? Am I, am I being unreasonable? Or do you regard yourself as a bit of a sour puss? And if so, why? Should we give up on pen and paper in the classroom? Should it quietly retire now that exam boards are starting to change policy? Or will this be the death knell for handwriting if young people no longer need handwriting to get themselves through exams? Will it be yet another reason for teachers to stop teaching good cursive handwriting? And the education minister here in Britain, here in Westminster, has confirmed that parents have a right to see the materials being shown to their children in sex education classes. Parents have always had that right, but schools have been incredibly good at stopping parents from seeing it. To be quite honest, Joe UK was pointing out that his uh, his children's teacher just couldn't look at him when he asked, please, could I, I know what you're going to teach my children? She couldn't even look at him. She couldn't say anything, couldn't look at him. If a teacher is too embarrassed to tell an adult what they're going to be teaching children, they shouldn't be saying it to children either. It's a bit of a giveaway. Maggie, oh, good grief, all those burgers. I hear all the greasy foods in one image. I see burgers, I see chips, I see uh, pizza, I see... I see hot dogs, um, onion rings, maybe. It's guess the greasy food contest now. I'm not sure what those things are. That some, something that's been fried in breadcrumbs. Um, Dr. Torres, how about a chicken fried steak challenge? Kendall's in o Oklahoma has one of the biggest. And yeah, that tiny lady and her friend each polished off their own. No problem. Oh, good grief. I'm sorry. I know I've been accused of being a Karen before for not being very impressed by this sort of thing, but it just feels like gluttony somehow. Look at the size of that. Literally, if you're not in the chat room, please sign into the chat room. But this girl, I mean, how where she would put that is anybody's guess. Tiny woman is sitting in front of a massive tray, a really big tray with a half of the tray is fried chicken smothered in what sour cream is that or something and then there's um what looks like bread and then there's vegetables and i think i think the vegetables would not be the problem It'd be getting through all that chicken i mean you're practically devouring a farmyard um 
Dr. Torres, by the way, Fiorella Rolo is a Hershey product and it's made right here in the good old US of A. You detest Hershey's, you say. I dare say otherwise, Rolo lover. <laughs> now, just a minute. I think you'll probably find Rolos are made differently over here. I suspect that Hershey's has the franchise in the States. So I'm guessing, okay. One day, right, the King Dude has had Rolos over here, right? When I come to the States to do my book tour or the Crusade Channel has its pilgrimage to Britain, someone has to bring an American Rolo tube and I will bring some British Rolos and we will compare flavours. There we are. How about that? Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll be the judge of which is the better Rolo and I bet you they taste differently. Um Maggie, okay, I've actually been to this place. It's called the Big Cheesy in New Orleans. What is that monstrosity? This is on their menu for an eating challenge, not a normal menu then. But their mac and cheese burger is delicious. A mac and cheese burger. So this is sacrilege. How can, how can mac and cheese go in a burger? Go with a burger. Presumably it's, it's accompanying a burger. It's not just in a burger bun. Um, I'm going to get a picture now. I don't know. Sorry, I'm I'm not sure I'm quite I'm quite on the same wavelength as that that meal. Um, the eating challenge that I'm trying to work out how many different layers there are to that burger. Dare I ask, do you have to eat it within a certain length of time or do you just have to finish it? It's timed. Can you imagine the table manners would be absolutely outrageous? Um, I'd be sitting there saying, will you close your mouth, please? Will you stop making so much noise? Um, this is probably the sort of thing my children would do just to annoy me. Um, I'm a bit of a stickler for manners, as you've probably worked out already. APOC 813, all food in heaven will be fried. I'm sure I saw that one in one of the Catholic books of the Bible the Protestants took out. <laughs> well, I suppose in heaven, though, you don't have to worry about your cholesterol levels, do you? There's a thought. Will there be any vegan diets in heaven? Probably not. Um, we won't be worrying about the planet either because we won't be on the planet. Gosh, this could get very deep, this conversation. Very deep. Yeah. On the subject of sex education, though, um, much as I disapprove of it, and I certainly do not want it in the classroom, I do not want teachers patronising me by claiming that they can teach this most sensitive of subjects better than I can... It has been suggested that a certain man who made the mistake of airing his grievances on social media perhaps needs to go back to school after he went onto social media to complain that his wife couldn't give him a daughter. Yeah. A man, he's, uh, he's happily married and his wife has just given birth to their sixth son. But he's so sad because he doesn't have a little girl to dote on. He really wanted to have a daughter because he thought that would be lovely. But his wife keeps giving him sons. He even went so far as to suggest that maybe he should have stayed with his ex because perhaps she would have given him daughters. Because he doesn't know how sex in a baby is determined. I cannot believe there are people out there who have the vote who do not know, well, presumably they know where babies come from, but don't know about chromosomes. The, 
he doesn't know that he's the one who determines the sex of their baby. Can this be possible in the 21st century that there are people out there publicly complaining about something that is entirely their problem? There have been some hilarious responses on social media. You can just imagine, can't you? Um, but he said that, that his wife, I mean, his poor wife, he's 29 years old, six, a 29-year-old 20, mother of six sons. Like, come on, if you are... If you are a mother of six boys, you, you deserve every possible respect, right? She has six boys aged eight, seven, five, three, two, and a one-month-old. And she said, all that matters to me that they're all healthy, but apparently my husband doesn't think that way. A month ago, we had another boy, and he was disappointed. We decided to wait until he was bo born to find out his gender. When he was born, my husband just laughed, and that was it. It's... Um, Obvious that he loves him, he's happy with him, he's an amazing dad, but he still feels disappointed. And worse still, she needed to use her laptop. This is where secrets tend to emerge. It's when um, a spouse borrows the other one's laptop or phone. And she saw his WhatsApp and found a conversation he'd been having with his brother complaining about this oh no another boy and he said that um, he doesn't regret having his children he still dreams of having a daughter it saddens him to know he probably never will have one he also sometimes thinks that what would have happened what would have happened if he'd stayed with his ex-girlfriend who has three girls quite a few people were you know trying to help her to break it to her husband that it's his problem but i don't know where you'd even start there Lady Bellarmine saying, it's frightening what people don't know. And the same people who don't know these things are given the vote. The vote it, it frightens me every day. It just, it seems to me such a basic point of biology. I remember saying to my children, okay, what's wrong with this story? And they immediately said, well, because doesn't the daddy determine the gender of the child? Isn't that how it happens? Yes, it is how it happens. Um, the king dude, I dispense X's. I had twin daughters and couldn't be happier with that. There we are. Well, the funny thing is, I, I did I did find out. Um, oh, Dr. Torres is saying Hershey's lover. I am not a Hershey's lover. Though Mr. Hershey sounds like he was a very nice chap. Um, Jacqueline saying souls have no feelings or gender. All that's part of our physical nature. Maybe at the bodily resur resurrection we will enjoy food. There we are. Thank you, Jacqueline, for, for raising this raising the level of the, the conversation just a little bit. Of course, we will not be eating burgers in heaven, but maybe at the resurrection of the body. Who knows? Um, Paul C. saying, I know family like that, had three boys, wanted a girl on the fourth tribe of God, gave, gave them twin boys. Um, this is it. I, I just... Oh, here we are. Um, and Maggie has, in fact, put up the diagram, you know, male to XY, XX, you know, how it works. I remember learning about this in biology class at school. I think I was about 12. Um, yes, the King Dude and I just discussed that. Jacqueline, didn't King Henry have this problem? He did indeed. And blamed Catherine of Aragon for not giving him a son. And Anne Boleyn. And... I suppose the only thing, um, I can't really defend Henry VIII because I think he was a monster, a monstrous, tyrannical, evil creature uh, who was responsible for the 
killing of 57,000 people and wrenching England from communion with Rome and was the worst thing, in fact, that ever happened to England. But at least in his day, they didn't know. But but yes, if, if only if Henry VIII had known, well, he probably would still have blamed the woman because men like that always do. Um, I do find it interesting because normally it's the other way around. Because um, because I have to talk about this a lot in terms of things like sex selective abortion, which is a, an area I've had to study in a great deal of detail for my book, The Abolition of Woman. But uh, my uncle was was a priest. He's, he's now oh he's still a priest, but he's, he's now retired from his parish. And they had quite a big traveller community, um, very near the parish. And he would get women who say had six girls. And the woman would say, oh, pray for me, Father. My, my husband is desperate for a son. He won't leave me alone until he gets a son. He will, he will force me into pregnancy after pregnancy until I get a boy. Um, and it's, it's genuinely a problem. And he was very worried, I think, about some of those ladies. But the only time, quite honestly, I have thought I would really love this baby to be a girl which is my fourth child. I, I never mind. In the end, what's, what does it matter? You know, leave it to God, don't you? Um, I always found out the, the sex of the baby, though, because I'm a nosy Parker and I wanted to know. And I had boy, then girl, then boy. And when I was pregnant with baby number four, the nursery worker at my daughter's nursery school said, oh, you know something, we've been hearing all about how there's a baby on the way and um, it has to be a girl because I've got too many brothers. And I remember just thinking, could it? Could it please be a girl? Oh, God, could this be a girl? Because I will feel hugely pressured to have another baby and for it to be a girl. I know someone is going to be desperately disappointed. But you know something? If Natalia had ended up being a boy, it would have been fine. It would definitely have been fine. Um, oh, look at that. What a lovely family photograph. The reverse of this family, six boys and finally a girl. There we go. What a beautiful family. What a really, really beautiful family. Well, there was um, a documentary some years ago about really big families. Now, I have mixed feelings about these uh, these documentaries. They're usually quite positive, but they do treat big families like a freak show. I think you've had this... Um, You've had this in the States with the, the, the Duggar family, you know, getting the reality TV shows and things like that. But there was this family and they had 12 children, 11 girls and a boy. And I remember the presenter just saying, poor Charles, poor, poor Charles. Um, and I think he did find it quite stressful having 11 older sisters bossing him about. Um, he probably grew up to be completely cynical about women as a result. Um, Philip, the man determines the sex, but he can't control it. So circumstances can dictate it. Perhaps he would have had a daughter with the ex on um, and he, man can create both sexes. Well, I mean, you always have the issue. I mean, it doesn't say so in this story. There's no details about miscarriage or anything like that. Um, there are certainly circumstances where it's it's harder. For, it can be harder for a woman to carry um, a boy than a girl because boys tend to be more uh, vulnerable both in the womb and, and in infancy. Um, I, I think that that can be the case. I, I've also heard, and I don't know if this is true at all, but maybe someone can help me if there's any NFP specialists out there. Um, I have heard that 
the time in a woman's menstrual cycle when um, the, a baby is conceived can influence whether um, it's, a, it's a boy or a girl. But I can't quite see how that would work because in the end it is the man who provides the chromosome. So I, I don't know how that would work, but I, I have heard that, that at certain times in the cycle it's more likely to happen that way. If, if anyone could clarify if there are any doctors, nurses or NFP specialists out there who could help me with this one, that is the rumour I heard. Um, so there we go. But the thing is, even if it had been different, the fact that a man was prepared to say that even in a private conversation to his brother, you know, that he'd even contemplated what it would have meant, what it would have been like to start a family with his ex. That's a terrible insult to his wife. That, that really is a slap in the face. It shouldn't even have entered his mind. You know, you've, you've married, you have, you've made, a, you've, you've made a union with this woman that you stick by that. You, you don't even entertain you know, what if you'd married somebody else? You know, it's, I think it's a, it's a wicked thing to say um, for him even to have thought it. But it's an odd situation because it seems from this article as if they are a perfectly happy couple and that he is, in fact, perfectly happy with his children. Um, his hankering after a daughter, it might trouble him, but it seems that he loves his children as they are. Um, having had both I, I don't know how i'd feel if i if i'd had four boys or four girls um i certainly like having both but there we are it's actually saying what a beautiful family but i think that's just it's one of those things it's it's part of the, the great tapestry of family life is just leaving leaving it up to god you have a daughter you have a son you know, god knows what he's doing um you're getting for some years now you've had talk in this country about you know, family balancing but it's just in, in my opinion it is just wrong because as one fertility doctor whom I normally cannot stand um, on any subject but this is the one thing I think we maybe were in agreement about he said well we shouldn't, in fact, encourage people to choose the sex of their baby through um, through IVF or whatever because I mean, he, he didn't have a problem with IVF. He was an IVF doctor. But he said, well, do you know something? If you say insist you have to have a girl or insist you have to have a boy, there will be expectations attached to that child. You know, why is it you feel you have to have a daughter? You have to have a son? Um, and it's an important question. Um, good morning, Schaefer13. Good morning. We are talking about, yes, um, a man who really needs to have it explained to him where babies come from and how they come to be a boy or a girl. My mother only had girls. I'm from a family of girls, three sisters, no boys. Well, no, no, no boys who made it anyway. Um, and just to recap, yes, sex education, the Minister for Education has said that parents do have a right to look at their um, the material. One thing, one of my children who's at school pointed out because I just I just withdraw my children from school. I, I don't care what anybody says; they don't have to sit through the sex education day. I will find a way to get them out. And what one of my children said was, "Oh, but you know, if you don't go to the sex education class, then everyone thinks you're a wuss. You know, everyone thinks you're a sissy." And I've had to think about that and find ways to try to make sure they don't get singled out. Um, Mary's Dowry, is it any wonder that people don't know that it's the man who determines the sex of the baby, considering what they concentrate on teaching in sex education? Well, 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, the biological realities tend to get rather skimmed over. I will say, though, that one has to be very careful, even when looking at the biological side, because uh, when I was at school, we went, well, at the same time, we were learning about chromosomes and stuff like that. That's kind of important. We learned all about human reproduction and we spent the entire class learning about what can go wrong. About, you know, how very you know, various genetic illnesses happen or if there's an extra chromosome or this or that or the other. And I came home from school literally wondering how many disabled children I would have. You know, if I had four children, would maybe three of them have disabilities? And my father's saying, you do realise, don't you, that um, millions and millions of completely healthy babies are born every day, that in fact your chances of having a baby with a life-threatening illness are really quite small, you're only focusing on disease. You're only focusing on what's going wrong. But I said, well, the whole lesson was about what goes wrong. We didn't see any lovely pictures of healthy babies being born. We, we only learned about what goes wrong. Well, what we were learning was biologically correct in terms of, yes, if there's an extra chromosome, that causes Down syndrome. If this cr chromosome was damaged or whatever, this causes this or that and the other problem. Um, but it was just that they failed to put it into any kind of a context. Um Schaefer 13, uh, Mary's diary, I'd expect people to begin saying how the Y chromosome is shorter, messed up, you know, feminism, feminism and all. I knew this would happen. OK, shall we move on? Um, shall we shall we move on from the subject of um, the birds and the bees and girls and boys before it gets any more naughty? Um, yes, absolutely. Let's just... Take it gently in another direction. Well, okay, very quickly, because we have precisely three minutes. Could everyone please be nice to the King Dude because he's hurt his back? Seriously, could we all be nice? Nice and make, make supportive noises all the way through his show today because he hurt his back doing all that, that stuff, you know, moving things. And I don't know. I think the King Dude is probably building that studio and that house at Walsingham West single-handed with his bare hands. I think that's really what this is about. Um, but yes, it's it's not nice having back pain. It's very, very unpleasant. There was a little story doing the rounds, and I would really love it if somebody could help me with this, that an off-duty pilot tried to shut down the engines on a flight. There was a, there was a pilot, this is in the US, um, he was uh, on a flight from L.A. No, it was Alaska Airlines. And he was sitting in the jump seat. Pilots have the right to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they can, if on their own airline, they can be passengers on a flight. And he suddenly just started trying to shut down all the engines. And they had to restrain him and divert, divert the flight to Oregon. He's now been charged with 83 counts of attempted murder, because that's exactly what it would have been if he had brought that plane down. He would have killed 83 people. Um, and no one really knows why he did it. Um, and some people suggested he had a, a, you know, a mental breakdown or something. Does anyone know anything about this story? What would possess a person to try to shut down an aircraft while it was in mid-flight? Oh, okay. Right. 
he was having a bad drugs trip. That is really, really scary. When I saw this, it was on, on um, a London newspaper. I was like, what? Well, why would anybody do that? Maybe he did lose his mind. He did lose his mind. He was taking drugs. Oh, gosh, that is really awful. Well, thank God. Thank God a disaster was averted. Um, it did make me very, very slightly nervous. I'm not a nervous passenger on a flight normally, but I just thought, do pilots do that? Right. OK, that gives some kind of a context. Um Schaefer 13, my greatest fear when my kids were born was a birth defect of any kind. Um, Lady Bill, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond grateful each one came out just fine. Well, the thing is that um, I certainly I certainly found it really tough. I, I did have the anomaly scans. They are 20 weeks to give you a scan where they check the health of the baby. And I had mixed feelings about this because they are basically seek out and destroy scans. The whole point of this is to identify a problem and get rid of the baby, pressure the parent into get rid of the, get rid of the baby. But I wanted to know if anything was wrong so that I could be prepared. And I remember the night before the scan, my, my first baby, admitting to a friend I was a bit nervous. And she went, well, the worst thing they can say is it's got a handicap and that's all right. I thought, well, it's not all right, actually. I don't want my child to suffer. Is that, is that so bad? Um, and as it happened, of course, the special needs that my son had can't be detected on a ultrasound screen anyway. Um, but obviously, if you do discover that your child has you know, particularly a life-limiting illness or a life-shortening illness, you know, it is very scary. Um, Mike, are you there? I am. Hello, Mike. How are you feeling this morning? I did not hurt my back by lifting heavy implements and doing farm work. Oh. I slipped. Oh, no. I, th I thought it was an overuse oh, injury. What happened? Oh, no. I, you know, I'd be, I should claim that I... Uh, yes, yes, yes. I was, I was toting bales and hauling barges. That sounds and, better. And I had the hoe in my <laughs> hand. And the, there I was, breaking that boulder into little pieces, more manageable pieces. I no. was imagining a kind of I, I little cannot. house on the prairie sort of situation. <laughs> you're, you're you're digging that, you're making that house yeah. with your bare hands, you know, and, and you hurt your back. Okay, no, it wasn't anything quite that glamorous, all right. I missed, I, I made a misstep on this, on the steps in the Walsingham West RV. That's what happened. Right. And... Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. It was the it. silliest, most stupid thing. Um, and I knew it as soon as as soon as my foot hit, uh, then I slipped a little bit. I knew it because it doesn't take much. Uh, anyone... Apparently, we have no listeners out of the thousands that we have that have ever had what's called a... a, a if you go to a, an actual doctor, a, a orthopedic, or a, you know, someone who specializes in bones... Mm -hmm. They'll tell you that most back injuries are not what you know, people love to run around and my, my, um, moan and whine about their, oh, I have bulging discs or I have a shattered disc or this disc is ruptured or this and that and the other. Most back injuries are not discs. Most back okay. injuries, especially the lower back ones, and you'll get it in the, uh, uh, up near the, uh, the, uh, the base of your skull as well. Have mm -hmm. you ever had a pinched nerve at the base of your, your skull where you couldn't turn your head from left to right as you normally can? Uh, never it's had a, the misfortune. That's a very common injury in, in, uh, in athletics, uh, especially in, 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 I forget which sport it is. But in any event, most back injuries, especially the temporary ones, are because of pinched nerves. 
Because you have nerves that come out of your spinal cord. That's how your nervous system works. Sure. Yeah. So your spine is the main nerve, and you have little nerves that come out. Well, there are little teeny holes in each of your <laughs> vertebrae where the yeah. where the nerve will come out. And God only gave you a one millimeter cushion in each one of those little holes. So if you slip or you fall or you take a step the wrong way and you put pressure on that little nerve, mm -hmm. it gets injured. You damage it and it swells. And so what happens is I had, I had, I had an orthopedic surgeon explain this to me, draw it out for me very well because uh, I misunderstood it. He goes, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Here's what's going on. So he actually drew it out for me. He was a very famous orthopedic surgeon, too. He was the son of Boston Red Sox pitchers, Mel, Par uh, somebody will know this. He's, he's Mel Parnell's son. In any event, Dr. Parnell goes, no, 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 that's not what's happening. This, this is what is happening. And so he drew it out for me and showed me that um, uh, you 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 put pressure on these little nerves that come out of your spinal out of out of your out of the vertebrae on your spine and when you damage one it gets swollen hmm. that's what causes the pain right because the, the hole is really small uh, that the uh, I'm probably not explaining it me medically exactly because it's been a long time since I had it explained to me in any event the nerve is still pinched. Uh, heat doesn't do anything for it. Actually, it makes it worse. Uh, ice is the only thing that gives you any relief at all because it kind of it knocks the swelling down. And, you know, you know I do this, this, this routine. I think it takes 30 minutes every day uh, when, I, when, you have this when I have this condition to stretch, a series of stretching exercises that another doctor gave to me. And this is all to avoid having to go on any kind of medication because you can get doped up for it. Well, it sounds very familiar from having children doing sport. Ice and stretching exercises are very familiar to me. Well, and it, and it, it, it's amazing how simple that is, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it does it does genuinely seem to work. Yes, yes. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't injuries that people don't admit because somebody's going to go, what are you saying? There's no disc. No, there are disc injuries. Mm. And people do get bulging discs and damaged discs, discs and ruptured discs and all sorts of things ha can happen with your spine. It's a very complex piece of anatomy. Mm. I <laughs> yeah. Anyone, anyone that tells me that that that, that, a, that a human or, or the vertebra of a, of a mammal evolved, you're full of it. It's it's too complicated of a device to have been made through billions and billions of years of trial and error. No, somebody designed that Joker, and they were really really good at what they did. <laughs> so. Yes, I always I always feel that you have to get with things like the theology of the body, where it talks about you know what you can discover from the body. I always think you have to be slightly careful because I've always felt that if you took that too far, God would be such a practical joker. <laughs> there are so many bits of the body where I just think, what what was that for? Well, well look at us humans. He has a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yep. All you I have mean, to do is look at your neighbor and go like, man, God, God really has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah. The God who made <laughs> the, made mountains and 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 valleys made made you and me. Yes. Yes. Well, today is National Greasy Food Day. Yes. I'm surprised that you, that, that the chat room didn't descend into a cacophony of. Uh, 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 What's the word? Slothful photographs <laughs> of well, the, the greasiest food ever made. Well, Dr. Torres tried. 
Well, you're, well, um, he does. Um, uh, Maggie put one in there with the. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a cheeseburger from the big cheesy. Yeah. There, there was a, a cheeseburger that uh, a little restaurant in Louisiana makes it. The bun is actually made out of macaroni and cheese, fried macaroni and cheese. I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I would love not to collapse and die of a heart attack before I'm 50. I mean, how is that good for you? Hmm? <laughs> no one said it was good for you. They said it was good, not good well, for you. <laughs> so, um, well, there we are. Yes. Uh, um, so so uh, uh, I, my injury could heal itself today. It, 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 it's, it's fascinating. When it goes away, it just kind of goes away. The swelling just... Just kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. Swelling yeah. has not gone away yet. <laughs> I just well, I, well, I hope it. I hope it improves. Back, back pain is, is no fun. It's, it's no, not it's not. Uh, especially sitting in, in these uh, broadcast chairs, they're not exactly orthopedically designed. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, and to be in the chair for four hours, you can ask Maggie. It, it, it take ten minutes. It'll take me ten minutes to get across the, the room to the kitchen to go get my my day my dose today of, of greasy food. Which I very oh. much am looking forward to. Well, rather you than me. Mind you, I'm going to go for my, my weekly fried breakfast tomorrow morning with the children at Beef Eater. Um, and that's pretty high, um, high fat, should we Is say. Is it Beef Eater a gin? Yes. Um, it might be. It's also a chain of sort of, uh, I was going to say Greasy Spoon cafes, but that's not quite fair. Well, you know yeah. that... Well, budget, budget restaurants, should we say. You know, in the 1990s, they they began this crap, this dietary uh, this, this dietary tyranny, where they were trying to prove or just trying to make people um, uh, stop eating all things that tasted good and were kind of natural. <laughs> and so the, you know, cholesterol's bad for you, actual lard is, 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 is terrible for you, we need to remove all these fatties and all that. Actually, what has been discovered since, and was probably and has been known since Adam and Eve, or since Noah, depending on which how far back you want to go. Natural mm-hmm. fats, like tallow, beef tallow, or lard from a hog, uh, that stuff actually has stuff in it that is good for you. Now you don't want to sit there with a spoon eating it. But food that has been fried in natural fats is eminently good for you. You need a certain amount of fat. Your body actually requires it. It's this hydrogenated vegetable oil, uh, which is uh, basically some of it's a derivative of petroleum. When I when you have this when I have this condition to stretch, series of stretching exercises that another doctor gave to me, and this is all to avoid having to go on any kind of medication because you can get doped up for it. Well, it sounds very familiar from having children doing sport. Ice and stretching exercises are very familiar to me. Well, it's amazing how simple that is, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it does, it does genuinely seem to work. Yes, yes. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't injuries that people don't admit because somebody's going to go, What are you saying? There's no disc. No, there are disc injuries. Mm. And people do get bulging discs and damaged discs, discs and ruptured discs and all sorts of things ha- can happen with your spine. It's a very complex piece of anatomy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. <laughs> anyone, anyone who tells me that that that, that, a, that a human or, or the vertebra of a, of a mammal evolved, you're full of it. 
It's, it's too complicated of a device to have been made through billions and billions of years of trial and error. No, somebody designed that Joker, and they were really, really good at what they did. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes, I always, I always feel that you have to get with things like the theology of the body, where it talks about you know what you can discover from the body. I always think you have to be slightly careful because I've always felt that if you took that too far, God would be such a practical joker. <laughs> there are so many bits of the body where I just think, what, what was that for? Well, well look at us humans. He has a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yep. All you have I mean, to do is look at your neighbor and go, like, man, God, God really has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah. The God who made <laughs> the, made mountains and 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 valleys made made you and me. Yes. Yes. Well, today it's is true. National Greasy Food Day. Yes. I'm surprised that you, that, that the chat room didn't descend into a cacophony of. Uh, 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 What's the word? Slothful photographs <laughs> well, of the greasiest food ever made. Well, Dr. Torres tried. Well, he, well, um, he does. Um, uh, Maggie put one in there with the. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a cheeseburger from the Big Cheesy. Yeah. There, there was a, a cheeseburger that uh, a, a little restaurant in Louisiana makes it. The bun is actually made out of macaroni and cheese, fried macaroni and cheese. I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I would love not to collapse and die of a heart attack before I'm 50. I mean, how is that good for you? Hmm? <laughs> no one said it was good for you. They said it was good, not good well, for you. <laughs> so, um, well, there we are. Yes. Uh, um, so so uh, uh, I, my injury could heal itself today. It, 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 it's, it's fascinating. When it goes away, it just kind of goes away. The swelling just... Just kind of goes away. Mm -hmm. Swelling yeah. has not gone away yet. <laughs> I just well I, well, I hope it. I hope it improves. Back, back pain is, is no fun. It's, it's no, good. it's not. Uh, especially sitting in, in these uh, broadcast chairs, they're not exactly orthopedically designed. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, and being the chair for four hours, you can ask Maggie. It, it, it take ten minutes. It'll take me ten minutes to get across the, the room to the kitchen to go get my my daily my dose today of, of greasy food. Which I very oh. much am looking forward to. Well, rather you than me. Mind you, I'm going to go for my, my weekly fried breakfast tomorrow morning with the children at Beef Eater. Um, and that's pretty high, um, high fat, should we Is say. Is Beef Eater a gin? Yes. Um, it might be. It's also a chain of sort of... Uh, I was going to say Greasy Spoon Cafe, so that's not quite fair. Well, you know yeah. that... Well, budget, budget restaurants, should we say. You know, in the 1990s, they they began this crap, this dietary uh, this, this dietary tyranny, where they were trying to prove or just trying to make people um, uh, stop eating all things that tasted good and were kind of natural. <laughs> and so the, you know, cholesterol's bad for you, actual lard is, 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 is terrible for you, we need to remove all these fatties and all that. Actually, what has been discovered since, and was probably and has been known since Adam and Eve or since Noah, depending on which how far back you want to go, natural mm. fats like tallow, beef tallow or lard from a hog, uh, that stuff actually has stuff in it that is good for you. Now, you don't want to sit there with a spoon eating it. But food that has been fried in natural fats is eminently good for you. You need a certain amount of fat. Your body actually requires it. It's this hydrogenated vegetable oil 
uh, which is uh, basically some of it's a derivative of petroleum. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of it has uh, is a derivative. When they say vegetable oil, you don't want to know how vegetable oil is made. I mean, this stuff has the worst, the worst, the worst crap in the world in it. Uh, and yeah, it'll make fried food. It, 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 it'll make crispy fried food, and they sell it. Uh, almost all restaurants uses this uh, Frymax uh, stuff that they uh, that they sell now. But it used to be they used to fry everything. Grandma, your grandmother, your Maltese grandmother, I guarantee you, your grandmother. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. This is the point. We never did. We didn't do lard. My mother was appalled when she discovered at the Brownie Guys we were being taught to what fry What did she use to fry? Olive oil. Well, you could we use really olive fry, oil. But you don't really fry. I mean, you shallow fry a little yeah. bit, but um, it's just, it, it's not that common. The Mediterranean diet isn't like that. Um, I know in Italy they fry stuff in lard. We never did that. The, the Italians use lard. The French most certainly use lard. Well, the Italians have their own way of doing things. Um, but we, olive we, uh, oil we is good. War over, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a proponent of olive oil. I love olive oil. Uh, the only thing we're frying in olive oil is you can only use it once. It has very low flash from my culinary training. It has, a, it has a very low flash point. If you heat it up over 400 degrees, it's going to turn your food black. So you have to be very careful. You have to fry at moderate temperatures in olive oil, and it's difficult to reuse it. But no, it and it's and it's healthy. It's good. Yeah. Who doesn't love olive oil? Well, and you know, I mean, the Mediterranean diet. It is one of the most healthy in the world. Sure. Um, you know, you can make your own salad dressings if you have a nice yeah. little healthy dose of uh, triple virgin or double virgin olive oil around. Uh, the trick is, and most people don't want to do this. The trick is, if you want it to have some viscosity to it. You know how you do mm-hmm. that naturally? No. Raw egg white. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, and it, well, mayonnaise. If, has yes, that, if you it, whip yeah. the crap, if you whip the just just beat until you get soft peaks of a raw egg white, and then and then beat your oil into it, and then you're um, you have to be very careful with your uh, uh, with your citrix because it'll break. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll separate into two pieces. Yeah, you can make your own salad dressing. As a matter of fact, most people used to make their own salad. Grandma made her own salad dressing. She called it well, Thousand Island. Well, I used to... Um, I've, I've never had this, uh, Thousand Island before, but I gather it's very good. Um, the, what, what we have as a sort of um, appetizer is you get some crusty bread mm-hmm. and you have a big uh, plate with o- olive oil mm-hmm. and a little bit of balsamic vinegar. Oh, yes. And you dip it. Yeah. So you can. Yeah, yeah. That is a a custom thing in some uh, modern Italian restaurants here Mm. in the states. They'll they'll serve you, uh, and and they're not going to give you crusty bread, but maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a day old, Um, and you'll just get olive oil and balsamic vinegar, and they will mix you. They they will mix it in 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 the center of the plate. Maybe Mm -hmm. they might even grate a little Parmesan, fresh Parmesan cheese into it for you. Oh, we don't do cheese, but yes. Yes, and then you uh, then you have your very own uh, you have your own dipping sauce, and it's mm-hmm. eminently healthy. It's good for yeah. you. It's absolutely delicious. You see, it can be delicious and healthy. That's my point. Uh, sure, it can. Yeah. Well, when I was growing uh, broccoli last year, uh, I was telling a story to one of our farmers, and like uh, I had one piece, and all I could think about was I want more broccoli. <laughs> 
<laughs> one little piece was just a teaser, and yeah. he and he goes, "That was your body telling you that because you 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 grew it, you knew you you knew what went into it. Mm-hmm. It was completely and totally natural. You know, there was no pesticide, no herbicide. I didn't even use any un, uh, use cow manure for for the fertilizer. That was your body telling you that that piece of green had good stuff in it that you need, and you should eat more. There we are." Which is not to say when you have a plate of Rolos in front of you that your body is is going like, I think you ought to eat more than it's good for you. Yes, there's only so far you can take it, but I tell you, we will do the Rolo challenge. Yes, we shall do the the Rolo challenge. Um, uh, So the the South Africans are in tomorrow? They are indeed. Don't mention the rugby. Well, (laughs) Well, I just hope the electricity works. Well, yes, that's probably the more pressing problem for them just at the moment. Uh, um, yes, the electricity uh, and uh, the internet, which uh, people don't realize the problems in South Africa. My goodness. By oh, the, yes. By the way, there's a story out today from the kind of moderately famous blogger, uh, Rod Dreher. Do you know what a nun is? N-O-N-E. Uh, no. Okay, and N-O-N-E is someone that does not believe that there is a God. When you ask them what religion they're affiliated with or what God they believe in. Oh, yes, in, the rise of the nuns. Yes. yes, they check none. Yeah. Here's a shocking stat. From 2008 to 2022, the number of nuns in the United States has doubled. Yeah. Okay, now what else has risen between 2008 and 2022? Um, There's lots of things, but... Yeah, I can think of lots of things, but uh, no, no idea. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say digital and social media. Yep. And the departure from actual hand-to-hand relationships and meetings and being in person and the move to do all these things electronically and from a great distance. Um, uh, it's, It's the destruction of the communities that used to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were they, talking about this just yesterday. Yes, and they have been replaced by these airsats communities that aren't communities at all. Um, uh, I think that that has a lot to do with. It. In any event, uh, I'll, I'll be talking about that in just a few minutes, and uh, we shall see you on Friday. And maybe uh, my swelling will go down, and we can do the summons. Yes, you just let me know, okay? I will get well soon. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's 31 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from Chile, England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com and the chat room is open for your commentary and photographs of burgers at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel talk show radio the way it should be. Yeah.